This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. Hi, it's a rainy Saturday morning, and today I wanted to do another host on mic episode where I get to speak directly to you because it's been a few weeks where I've actually been replaying some of my earlier episodes, partly because I'd like a little bit of a break, frankly, and I think it's it's important to model that, but also because this is such an important time in our history, especially when it comes to Black Lives Matter and our advocacy for people of color, Indigenous people. And so I've really wanted to highlight a lot of the people that I've interviewed that mean a lot to me and I think have a lot to say in terms of this movement specifically. So that's what the last few weeks have been. Today, I want to talk about the power of memories and our ability to rewrite our personal narratives through the intentional creation of memories as they happen. And it really ties into our gratitude practice. And I've been researching a lot about gratitude and the way that our memories are actually encoded. And they say that memories are generally encoded through the senses. And when it comes to trauma, which is a particular area that is of interest to me, and I think really quite important in terms of today's cultural and political climate, and especially within the context of COVID-19, trauma is certainly something that is coming up for people on an individual level, but some may go so far as to say that this is almost like a collective trauma for some, depending on where you're at, your access to food, your access to your basic needs. In some countries, COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on those basic needs and people's ability to access them. And so one might say that this has been a time of collective trauma for certain cultures, certain individuals in particular places. So those who have experienced trauma have a complicated relationship often with their memories. And according to the NICABM in 2017, they did a study and they found that trauma impacts four different types of memories in different ways. And they can have negative impacts on our ability to remember and function in day-to-day life. And so I wanted to go through those four different types of memories and generally where in the brain we hold our memories. I just found it so fascinating and I thought this this can actually be really effective in terms of how we make our memories in the present moment. And so I have a helpful, I think, a helpful activity on the other end of this where we can practice intentionally creating memories of our own that can essentially be siphoned for our gratitude practice. So here's one of the first types of memory that we can make, semantic memory, the ability to remember basic knowledge and information. Like for example, we can remember that a car is a car and essentially it's like this symbolic uh, type of memory that's usually represented by words a car a car is a car 
A chair is a chair, a bike is a bike. We all kind of have this collective understanding of what these things mean. Now, in trauma, this semantic memory can be affected um, because they have a difficult time sometimes connecting and processing words, image, images, sounds. And so semantic memory is created when your temporal lobe and your inferior parietal cortex combine information. And so if you've been in a moment of trauma or have, have experienced trauma, um, sometimes that experience can interrupt your ability to connect words and images, sounds and meanings in a way that um, you may not necessarily understand. But when you understand that sometimes trauma can have that impact on the brain, that it makes more sense. The second kind of memory that we make is an episodic memory. It is the narrative version of a memory that retells the who, the what, and the where, and it can be distorted by trauma. So often, painful memories will be deleted completely or scrambled so that sequencing can be really difficult because the part of our brain that's responsible for the episodic memory storage, which is the hippocampus, essentially shuts down in trauma. And so because it's either shut down or it's not working properly, we actually lose a sense of who, what, and where an event happened. And this is really, really important. And so getting back into our bodies, if we've been in trauma, getting back into our bodies, tuning into the who, what, and where, when we are recreating the future for ourselves or writing our narratives for the future is really, really important in terms of getting that hippocampus back online um, after we've had a trauma or just when we're trying to create positive memories for the future. So the next, the third type of memory that human beings hold is the emotional memory. So it's the ability to remember a feeling associated with an event, the feeling. And the amygdala is largely responsible for this memory, and it can be triggered um, easily to associate universal feelings with painful memories of an event. So if you feel deep shame, for example, um, or you've felt deep shame as a result of a particular situation, that your amygdala would recognize that same feeling of shame in, the, in a future circumstance and immediately perhaps throw you into fight, flight, or freeze because that's what it knows because of the trauma. So that's that whole toxic stress response that I think I've talked about before. But essentially, we have the capacity to uh, tune into our emotional sort of take the temperature of our emotional state of mind in the present and if we can do that in a really heightened sense, that we are able to regulate that a bit more easily. And the fourth and final type of memory that we have is the procedural memory. So the ability to follow a procedure, to complete a task, and make new habits. Like, for example, how to drive a car or how to ride a bike. So that's associated with the striatum in the brain. And so trauma has the ability to interfere with habits, um, subconsciously making it difficult to carry out like seemingly straightforward tasks. Uh, it can kind of get you confused about processes. And if that's the case, then sometimes it's helpful to write things out. For example, you might be the kind of person who really ne needs to write things out because you get confused or you forget steps. So it is possible for someone who has experienced trauma to actively work to create a rich bank of positive memories 
from which to draw instead of, well, not really instead of, it's not like you can really erase memories, but when we can actively work to create this kind of a deep reservoir of powerful moments of positive memories that I think that's where our ability to tap into our gratitude becomes more effective. And so when we are practicing gratitude and we're reflecting on the good things in our lives and we're looking back and trying to mine the past for beautiful memories and thinking about some of the beautiful things that have happened, if you've had trauma, this can be a very, very difficult exercise. And so my suggested activity is that we can actually intentionally create memories as they happen and build upon our inherent memory bank of gratitude memories that we could we can really pull from when we want to feel happy. And I know that there's been a lot of research done around essentially when you visualize something, whether it's happened in the past or your future thinking and visualizing for future goals, that when you really see yourself in a situation that's a positive one, your brain truly believes that it's there. And so if you can dig back into your past memories, ones that have been positive, and you're able to almost visualize as though you're there using all of your senses, that you can have a feeling of overall well-being because of it. So it's a powerful practice to become more intentional about making our positive memories stick and learning how to evoke them in a controlled manner. We can actually have agency over how we feel. So try this out sometime, maybe even today. I invite you whenever you kind of find that you're enjoying a moment, whether with someone, with your kids, with your partner, out in nature, to take a moment and to truly tune in with all of your sensory reception centers, with all of your capacity in your brain to create those memories. So, for example, you can start by naming just two things that you see. And that's going to anchor your visual senses to that memory. Next, you're going to name two things that you hear. And that's going to anchor the memory to your ability to hear your your auditory senses. Now it's important to name them because when you think about the way that memories are created, the sound, the word and the semantic memory is built upon that language and the knowledge and that connection between the two. And so if you're able to name them, it kind of anchors it um, within that semantic memory bank, which is really, really important. So next, You can name two things that you feel, and then two things that you can smell, and then two things that you can taste. And next, now this is also really important for that semantic memory, I want you to really think about the happy feeling that you have. Maybe it's feeling of gratitude, or there's a more complex emotion of peace, or maybe it's a combination And I want you to say out loud or at least articulate it internally if that makes sense. This is a happy moment. This moment is amazing because, and then finish the phrase, I am happy right now. And naming that emotion as it's happening further anchors it in your memory. It's in that emotional memory bank. So this exercise serves essentially to target all four of your memory systems. So the semantic memory, 
the episodic memory, which is the who, what, when, where, that you're able to really anchor the who, what, and where within your senses by seeing them, hearing them, feeling them, smelling them, tasting them. The emotional memory, you're able to articulate how you feel. And then the procedural memory is kind of built through experience because you're following those instructions of taking a moment and then procedurally going through what it is that you need to do in your senses in order to complete the activity. So essentially, this is like a multi-sensory activity that serves to anchor a positive memory right into your brain. So essentially, this has worked really, really well for me in the past. Um, It's not always easy for us to pull our happy memories for which we can be grateful for if we don't actively work to cultivate the memories as they are made. So if we're constantly on overdrive, forward thinking or past focused, it can be really difficult to truly appreciate the beautiful moments that greet us in the present. And so I had an experience where we went to Hawaii when the kids were young. McKenna was two and a half and Tyson was only about 10 months or so. Sleep wasn't really that easy on the trip. So there were a lot of hiccups. But somehow when I think back to that time, I mean, it's Hawaii, but When I think back to that time, I have this really rosy recollection of the trip. And I think part of that is because I actively practiced gratitude in the small moments throughout the trip in any moment that I could find. And I remember going for runs along the Canapoli boardwalk. And at the end of my walks, just taking an extra three minutes just to take a mental snapshot of how good I felt. And to this day, years later... I can still clearly see the way that the ocean waves lapped at my toes. I can feel the way that my heels sunk right into that sugary sand, the scent of hibiscus, the sea breeze, and that delicious taste of pineapples on my tongue. The memory is so strong because I worked intentionally to cultivate it. So I urge you to just take a few minutes each week and build on your gratitude memory bank so that when you're in practice... When you're doing that gratitude, you have a lot of content from which you can choose and pick. And I really think that the more memories that are positive, the more that we can sort of flood our brains with those beautiful positive emotions and memories, the more we'll feel that deep sense of gratitude and overall fulfillment. Thank you for listening today. Hope you have a great day. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. 
Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.